second chapter, the ninth verse. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. May the Lord add his blessing to his reading of his words. Joel and I, and some of you, live in Katy. We, we haven't lived in such a metropolitan area for a long time. In that particular area, we are told, is the most culturally and ethnically diverse area in the country, if not the most diverse, one of the most diverse areas in the country. And in that environment, and in many churches, not just where we live, but all over, the Word of God is under assault. If not directly, by just saying, that ain't so, then a watered-down, diminished capacity. And therefore, it's to none effect in many lives. But not just in Katy. It's all over the entire country. But in the midst of that diverse and corrupt culture walk those who have been injected into their being the life-giving spirit of Almighty God. A culture of God's own, bought with a price, nurtured by the Holy Spirit, and made strong by the bread of life, the Word of God. These are those to whom the word is precious and powerful, to whom the word is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Is that you? Jesus spoke so strongly on the word of God, not only about the New Test- Old Testament, but the New Testament. As a matter of fact, I, I kind of knew what I wanted to say all during the week, but my mind was just scattered with a verse here and a verse there. As a matter of fact, I was noticing this morning, I had stuff written down in the kitchen and up at, by the computer. I, I had verses written down on the computer and on my dresser. I had written down verses and put them on my dresser and I didn't know how to put them all together. So you guys just kind of help me out here. If it doesn't seem real cohesive, it's because there's so much I want to say. There's so much that Jesus said about the Word of God. As a matter of fact, if you really want a great treatise on the Word of God, read Psalm 119. If I were a teacher and I was giving you a homework assignment on the Word of God, I would say, go home tonight, read 1 Psalm 19, and take notes. Because there it outlines the advantages of those who believe and obey the Word of God and the consequences of those who don't. It says everything I wish I could say but don't have time. As a matter of fact, I could just stand up here and read for hours what is said about the Word of God in the Word of God. 
However, I'm going to mingle my words with his words and pray that it'll be a, a word feast for you this morning. Joel's been preaching the last several Sundays. Oh, thank you, honey. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> He's been preaching the last several Sundays on uh, the uh, Psalm 103 about the benefits of being a Christian, and then also in the fourth chapter of Luke. <laughs> where it talks about Jesus' ministry. In Psalm 103, which is, which is my, one of my favorites, and I'm kind of like another preacher I heard, you'll hear me say like a hundred times, this is one of my favorites. And I have several favorites. But listen to the word of God in Psalm 103 that Joel preached about. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I just gotta brag on myself just a little bit. I had to go to my cardiologist this last week. Y'all know I've been having all that problem with my heart. I've had three heart attacks. But I'm I'm in great shape. My heart's working perfectly. And he goes, Well, I guess 76 is the new 56 for you, huh? I said, Works for me. <laughs> but the Lord has blessed me. He has saved me. He has healed me. He's redeemed my life from destruction. And he satisfied my life and renewed my strength. And I praise his holy name. But all of these benefits are benefits for the children of God. Amen. Is that you? And then from Luke 4, Joel was talking about the ministry of Jesus when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind and to set those who are oppressed at liberty and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So we have all these physical benefits that David talks about in Psalms and now we have these spiritual and emotional benefits that Jesus said, this is my ministry. This is what I've come for. This is the ministry of Jesus to those who receive them, him, spiritual and emotional wholeness. Have you ever been there where you needed spiritual and emotional wholeness? Have you been brokenhearted? Have you been oppressed? Have you just failed to see things that God was doing? 
Have you felt captive by the world? Jesus came to minister to you if you will receive it. And as a matter of fact, those people in his hometown did not receive it and they wanted to kill him. I'm afraid a lot of churches are doing the same thing. So, the life to be lived by children of God and by the ministries of Jesus and the benefits given to them are clearly written in the Word of God, both the Old and the New Testaments. But we're going to talk about what Peter had to say in his first letter, and he clearly lays out the way and the responsibilities of those who are empowered to live this life in comparison to those who find Jesus a stumbling block. So hear the word of the Lord again. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. It says in another place, a peculiar people. His own people that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you've been walking in darkness and come out of it, you know what he means by the marvelous light. You know in the darkness you stumble and you fall and you don't know where you're going. But if he calls you out of that, Notice he doesn't say, here, walk over here, walk over there. He calls you. You hear his voice, and he says, come this way. So let's talk about these a little bit. You are a chosen generation. <clears throat> now, a generation is not just like every 20 years. I mean, it's that for us. But it also means like a, a group of people, uh, uh, many of them are blood relatives or whatever, and he talks about the generation, and he says, you are a chosen generation, and if you read all the benefits, and you've read the ministry of Jesus, and you're thinking, how do I get chosen? How do I get chosen? Like on the baseball team in elementary school. <laughs> if your friend chooses you, you've got a place. <laughs> but I have good news for you. You were chosen from the foundation of the world. But you have to receive it to be on the team. Notice that each of these passages, well, I won't come back to that. You have to be chosen when you choose to receive him. He chose you when he made the way. So is that you? And then Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. Now royal, I get, 
I am a child of the king of the universe. But a priest? A priest? What is a priest? A priest is one, and I, I kind of looked this up, who has consecrated themselves to the will and purpose of God. And in that consecration, you begin, you're saved, and then you begin the process of sanctification. But a priest is just not someone who is consecrated to God. They are someone who is a conduit to others to tell them about the Holy One, to tell them about salvation, to minister to their needs. Is that you? Is that me? A royal priest, child of the king of the universe, to help others connect to God, to minister like Jesus did to other people. And then he says, you are a holy nation. You know, I like to watch... Um, preachers on TV and I like it when they, they have their videos of where they went to minister in Africa or Asia or South America and they have the altar call and thousands of people come forward to give their life to Jesus and I love them I love them they are my people. I'm part of that nation. No matter where in the world this is going on, we are one nation. His church, his true church, is one nation under God. I want to talk a little bit about holiness. I only did this last night. I thought, well, I'm just not going to be talking long enough, so I'm going to really hear them on something they probably don't want to hear. Let's talk about holiness. We don't talk about holiness in church much anymore, do we? Now, God said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. But the truth is, you can't make yourself holy. You just can't do it. Only God can do that. And He does that when you're saved. But... He expects you to engage and cooperate in your sanctification and transformation process. When David said in Psalm 103, he forgives all your iniquities, it is understood that you need forgiveness. It's understood that forgiveness is what begins the process of transforming you. Because, dear ones, you cannot be made holy on your own because you have, you are born with a corrupt 
heritage, you were born corrupt. You know, you see all these guys like in the Eastern religions, like, oh, the holy man, the Lama guy, or this this monk over here, he's a holy man. No, he's not. Now, he may be disciplined, and he may be nice, and he may be, have uh, set himself apart over there, but he still has that corrupt nature that only God can heal him of. Only God can make you holy. But like I said, he expects you to engage in that transformation and sanctification process. I once gave a message at a really big church in Tyler on kind of this this subject of repentance and holiness and and it was, a, it was a large, charismatic church. I loved it there. And they loved worship and they loved praise. And I wish we had more of it. You know, let's praise God here, you know. Let's worship God here. And they definitely needed that message. They didn't think they did, but they did. And they were polite and they were generous, but they didn't want to hear anything about behavior. They wanted to hear or true repentance, they wanted to hear about singing and praising and maybe dancing. And a lot of churches are like that. But in that atmosphere, if some dear one is convicted of their sin and they're there at the altar crying for forgiveness for their sinful ways, a lot of churches would just be offended. They wouldn't like that. They would say, let's get rid of the spirit of heaviness. Dear ones, that needs to change. I want to see the altars filled and revival to fall on us. I think, I think our church is on the way to that. And I love it. But they didn't want to hear it. But true repentance proceeds salvation. And salvation is something that's not much talked about in the world anymore. And salvation ignites the transformation that will, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, to guide you, manifest the holiness that God has imparted to you. I think what's going on in the church today is a turn to revival. It's a turn to loving the Word of God again. It's a turn to believing the Word of God again. It's turning to cherish the Word of God. And revival is beginning. Okay, that's my deal on holiness. I just wanted to throw that in there. Now, have you noticed, and I got all my notes all mixed up here, so I'm just going to talk. Then in the three passages we were talking about, Psalm 103, Luke 4, 1 Peter 2, they all start with the same thing. 
David said, who heals, who forgives all mine iniquities, forgiveness and salvation. And then in Luke 104, he says, the Spirit is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the Savior of the world, who came and lived and died and rose again for your salvation. And then here in Peter, where he says, you've been chosen because you believed. They all began with salvation. Now I want to tell you a little bit about our little church here. We love our little church here. And when Joel and I first came here, they had already started a restoration fund. And boy, they needed it because it kind of went like that. Y'all remember? It was a pretty bad shape. But we gathered it together. But before we could paint, before we could get new pews and carpet and redo the floors and get a new roof, what was the first thing we had to do? We had to strengthen the foundation. Y'all remember that? We had old sand come out. We had to dig around, dig out the rotted wood, put in new wood. That's what's happening in our church. We're strengthening the foundation. It was prophetic. Before we can be restored, the foundation of the salvation of our Savior, Jesus, has to be firm. So I think the way we did it was prophetic. Today, in many churches, Joel and I, we've heard this somewhere, I can't remember where, are you hear synagogue sermons. You know what synagogue sermons are? Synagogue sermons are where you hear nice after-dinner speeches that don't talk about Jesus. The only time you hear about Jesus is at the end of a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We have to strengthen the foundations. We've got to talk about Jesus. <clears throat> I remember the little song we used to sing it at my youth group in California. Let's talk about Jesus. The King of Kings is He, the Lord of all to be throughout eternity. The Great I Am, the Way, the Truth, the Life, the Door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. I just praise God that when I was a teenager, I went to a church where they talked about Jesus, where they prayed for each other, where they had meetings where people would get up and testify what God had done for them. We need to talk about these things, what he has done for us. I have a little deal here. I want to remind you of a few things. In one, in Psalm 119, you're reading assignment for the week. It says, the word of God is forever settled in heaven. 
It's not going to change. It doesn't change with the culture. It doesn't change because some theologian doesn't like it, and it doesn't change because somebody who is living in sin doesn't like it. It doesn't change. It is forever settled in heaven. Remember, the word is increasingly assaulted in our country and in our churches, but dear ones, it doesn't change. Ephesians 5.26, it says that the word of God sanctifies you and washes you. It keeps you clean before your Lord and leads you to higher ground. In Mark 13, 3, we had the parable of the sower. Remember? He said the sower goes out to to sow the seed, and and you remember the different kinds of ground that it was sown onto. And it says that Jesus is the sower, and the seed is the word of God. Jesus talked about the word of God a lot. Like I say, I could just stand up here and read you the passages and we would way run out of time. And also, God said, you know, the Old Testament was a type and shadow, but when he's talking about the time of the kingdom when when our Lord and Savior came, he said, I will write my word on their hearts my law on their hearts. He imprints the word on your heart so that you can feed on that during the week or all the time and get strong and God can say, oh, you're trying to make a decision. Remember what my word says. So I want to encourage you. Read the word. Memorize the word. And as you walk day by day, it will lead you and guide you. I'm looking, honey. You know, I don't see how how my husband does it every week. Because knowing I was going to have to say something this week, I haven't even been able to sleep because I've got all this stuff on it through my mind. I admire you, honey. I've got so much more to say. John, Jesus said in the 17th chapter of John, which was his high priestly prayer before he went to the cross, he said, Father, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Now I listened to this guy on a video explaining or trying to explain how that if you really knew where the Bible came from, there were certain things that shouldn't even be in there. Really? (laughs) He's wiser than his creator? Really? And he explained how some some things that we're saying are sin are just cultural evolvement. 
So, he's more compassionate than his Savior? Let me tell you, dear ones, God's word is truth. In Psalms, it says, Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If you're of the chosen nation, if you're a peculiar people, and the darker the world gets, the more peculiar we look, I can tell you that, to the world. You need this. We, we used to, when we lived in the woodlands, on Wednesday nights, and sometimes Sunday nights, but mostly Wednesday nights, we'd head on over to Lakewood Church where John Osteen was the preacher. I've never been there since Joel was the preacher, but we used to go listen to John. And boy, I loved him. And he would start every sermon by saying, stand up and hold up your Bible. Remember that, Joel? And he'd say, now repeat after me. This is my Bible. This is my Bible. I believe, or how's he put it? I, I am who the Bible says I am. I can do what the Bible says I can do. And you're about to receive the ever-living seed of the Word of God. And then he would preach. And then there would be 5,200 people saved on Wednesday night. Why? Because he believed the word of God. He knew that his word is truth. So, you want the benefits of being a child of God? You want the emotional and spiritual comfort and healing of the Savior of the world? Do you want to be part of a chosen generation, a holy nation?